Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Uh, we're in a series right now called Worldview, in which we're looking at the lens by which we see the world. How do we see God? How do we see ourselves? How do we see others? How do we see topics of the day? And we're in week three of that worldview series. And the first two weeks were foundational. Uh, They were laying the groundwork of what you put at the center of your life impacts really everything from belief to ultimately behavior. So if you put God in the center, that leads to one outcome. If you put yourself in the center, that leads to another outcome. Last week, Jeff walked us through kind of three foundational questions of, of how we see really any topic of the world today. And so this week, we're in our first official topic, and it's the topic of life. Now, I'm imagining when you hear life in a Christian worldview series, the first thing that comes to your mind is life in the womb. And however true that is, that is actually only a subset to a greater conversation about not just the sanctity of human life in the womb, but the dignity of human life from conception all the way through eternity. And so the reality of it is, the reason it's the first topic that we're exploring is because if we get this right, it actually impacts the way we see every other topic uh, going forward. It impacts how we see uh, the child in the womb, how we interact with uh, mothers and fathers that have made that decision. Uh, of abortion, it impacts a a variety of things. I just made a list of all the different areas this one topic impacts. It impacts his racism, favoritism, sins of partiality, immigration, politics, gender confusion, how we treat our friends, coworkers, family, those that are like us, and maybe more importantly, those that aren't like us. How we see others impacts everything. Every topic you can think of is a topic that involves human beings, people. And so if this series was about a worldview, how do you see the world? And today is how do you see people who are made, not in your image, but made in the image of God? Because the truth is all of us kind of have knee-jerk responses when we see certain people, whether in the world at large or kind of in our own little spheres of influences, we have knee-jerk responses. Some of them are right and biblical and some of them are not right and biblical. And so for instance, when it comes to say politics, Everyone okay? Big deep breaths. What do you see? My hunch is if you're like me, the first thing I typically see is the political platform or the policies that they push forward. But in in reality, the first thing that we're meant to see is that these are persons. These are people made in the image of God. Or what about issues of the day? Maybe the border crisis and immigration. What do you see? Do you see this as an issue that needs to be resolved? or individuals made in the image of God? Do you see this as an us versus them reality or the reality that all of us are made in the image of God? What about people who are moving in around you? There's a kind of a craze right now in our country in which there's homeless individuals that are taking over certain pockets of cities, but then there's also kind of a housing boom right now in which new neighborhoods are kind of going in everywhere you look. Every open field is a new neighborhood. And so when you see whether the homeless or kind of a new high-end neighborhood, what do you see? Do you see how this is going to impact the value of your home? Or how all of these individuals have value? Because they're made not in your image, but in the image of God. What about when you see life in the womb or the end of life? 
Do you predominantly see this as a burden that you have to now deal with or a blessing that God has given to you? When you see your neighbor, your coworker, your family, your friends, your community group, people you click with and people you don't, how do you see them? Because the scriptures are clear. Each and every one of these individuals aren't made in your image. They're made in the image of God. And so we all have this like knee-jerk reaction when we see individuals. And the question we have to ask ourselves is whether or not this knee-jerk reaction we have is from the influences of the world that wants to put yourself in the center and then compare yourself to everyone else around you or the influence of the word of God, which puts God in the center. And depending on what we do with those two moments will radically impact how we see not just individuals, but really every single topic of the day. And so this message isn't about what laws should be pushed forward about certain issues, but rather the lens by which we should see every issue. Because before we kind of come up and debate a solution to problems that we see in the day, we must first have the lens to see the problem rightly, which is seeing all people made in the image of God. And so this past year, I'm sure many of you were kind of caught up with what was going on in Afghanistan. I was too. Started hearing news reports. And so I started looking up news articles and I started reading everything I could. I started going to kind of my go-to political news sources and podcasting and listening to hour long discussions on what could have been done differently. And some of them were very insightful. And some of them were just largely blame shifting. But then I went and grabbed lunch with a buddy of mine who had served two tours in Afghanistan. And so I walked in and I was really interested with what maybe he had to say because he was kind of boots on the ground there. And so I kind of wanted to kind of feed a little bit of my own self-righteousness because I knew he was gonna go, oh, they should have done this, they should have done this. But I walked in and he was on the phone and he started talking to the State Department. And he sits down with me and I was like, hey, what was that about? And he was like, well, I was talking to the State Department. And I go, really? Because I just heard a cuss word in there. And he goes, yeah. And he said, it's about everything going on in Afghanistan. And I go, hey man, what do you think about that? And he goes, look, there, there was a lot of stuff that could have been done differently and should have been done differently. But all I can think about right now is my translator who's still over there. And he has such ties to Americans that his dad, when he was trying to flee to the airport, got assassinated. And so I'm not thinking policy right now. I'm thinking that person and what I can do to get him and his family out. And that changed my worldview. And I stopped thinking about policy in that moment. I started thinking about the people. So I went home and I looked up the same news articles I'd already read, but instead of just reading all the information, I looked at the people. And I started seeing different pictures and this one grabbed my heart. Maybe you've seen it. It's a picture of a dad who is so desperate so scared that he's willing to grab his infant child and give him to strangers, not knowing if he'll ever see that child again. I just looked at this picture. And I looked at that kid, because that kid was roughly the age of my son. And I looked at that dad and I was like, what level of desperation do you have to be in to give up your child like that? My heart just broke in that moment. I started praying for that kid, that dad, those soldiers. And then God began to open my eyes even more to go, hey, you need to pray not just for our soldiers, but for the Taliban, because we're called to pray for our enemies. You need to pray for the generals over there. You need to pray for the president. Yes, Biden. 
Because we're called to pray for our leaders that they would be wise in how they make decisions. And so all of a sudden I went from seeing it as a problem that needed to be solved to people that should be loved and prayed for and were worth my time and my energy effort and not just my little conversation and dialogue with people. And so the truth is when we see the world through the lens of the world, then all of a sudden we put ourselves in the center and then we have this kind of filter that we think about everything through. And so when we interact with different people, whether in the world at large or in our world around us, what we end up doing when the self is at the center is we evaluate whether or not you're worth it to me, whether you're worth my time, my energy, my effort, my prayers, my concern. That's what we do when we put ourselves in the center and see the world through the lens of the world. Because what we're doing is we're saying, hey, this person isn't made in my image. So I begin to weigh their worth. And people become a problem to solve or or a talking point that kind of elevates your position or a pathway to our own achievements. There's a problem in this. Our eyes are broken and we need better eyes to see. And what God has given us is the lens, not just of the world, but he's given us the lens of the word of God that helps us to recognize that all of the individuals you see on a daily basis, on the news, in this room, in your community group, your kids, those that you love, those that you like, those that you can't stand, aren't made in your image. They're made in God's which means that they all have dignity, value, and worth. So this isn't about a policy, this is about people. And so today we're gonna be talking about the dignity of life, the dignity of human life. And we're gonna be kind of all over in scripture because scripture has a lot to say about what God thinks about when he thinks about human life. But what we're gonna do is that framework that Jeff taught us last week as we engage in whatever topic you see in the culture today, we should be thinking three different questions. And I hope that at the end of this series, you just have these three questions locked into your mind so that whatever crazy comes next, you can throw these three questions out because this is the lens by which we need to see everything. And so we're gonna look at this morning three different questions. One, what does the Bible say about the topic? And so it's dignity of life. So what does the Bible say about dignity of life? How do we respond in humility? Before we look out there, we need to look ourselves in the mirror. And then from there, how do we love one another as ambassadors in this? And so those are the three movements, not just for this Sunday, but for the rest of our time in this series. How do we, what does the Bible say about dignity of life? How do we respond in humility? And how do we love others as ambassadors of Christ? And so first up, what does the Bible say about dignity of life? Well, I read the Bible and uh, fun fact, God seems to really like life. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that, but God is a big fan of life. I actually pulled a bunch of different verses into this, didn't have time to unpack all of them, but what I found was this. God blesses life, God defines life, God values life, God defends life, God controls life, God sustains life. He is life. And God, who is life, creates life. And because he creates life at the pinnacle of his creation, he creates those that are made in his image, his likeness, those that look like himself, image bearers, Humans. Genesis 1:27 says this, so God created man, human, 
In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're gonna unpack that verse more in the coming weeks. But what we need to know now is this. One, if you wanna dig more into the image of God stuff, we did a message a while back called In His Image. You should go look that up. But for today, what's important for us is to understand that because each and every person is made in the image of God, it means that they have intrinsic dignity, value, worth. I love what Psalms 8 says. It says in Psalms 8, verse three, it says, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set place, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? So the psalmist is like outside and he's looking around and going, okay, when I think about how big and how glorious and how majest, all that you are and all that you've done, whenever I think about who you are, God, and how huge you are, it blows me away that you are so infinite and yet simultaneously you are so intimate and equated with who I am. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you would even care about him? But then he says, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and have crowned him with glory and honor. That God is infinite. And yet because we're made in his image, he is intimate with us. He's close to us, he's near to us. He crowns us with dignity and honor. And so that means that every single person you see, every single person you interact with, those who are made in the image of God has intrinsic dignity, worth, value, not because they're made in your image, but because they're made in God's. And so pause for a second. That includes you. So many of us spend so much time believing lies in our mind about what God actually thinks about us. And because you were made in the image of God, you matter to God. He cares about you. He loves you. And if we have any hope of seeing other people that way, we have to first look in the mirror and recognize that I'm an image bearer of God. Like the one who created everything. I bear his image, I bear his likeness, I'm cared for, I'm loved. And when we begin to see that, all of a sudden it opens up our eyes to see other people that way. I mean, like, pause, look around. You're surrounded by hundreds of individuals that bear God's image. Every person you interact with on a daily basis has dignity, value, and worth. And so if that's how God sees us, shouldn't that be how we see one another? The Bible is objectively clear that from conception through eternity, all human beings have dignity, value, and worth. That the Bible declares emphatically that life begins at conception. Psalms 139 says it this way. It says it in a lot of places, but this is the most clear. It says, for you, talking about God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You see how intimate that is? He's knitting you together in your mother's womb. I praise you, why? Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when, when there was yet none of them. And so a child in the womb is not a clump of cells. Like we know that biologically, but it's declared to us biblically. It's not a clump of cells. And so that every single person like right here, the, their days that were counted, did you notice, begins in the womb. So abortion is the taking of human life. If you hear it's a choice, all they're declaring is a devaluing of humans. Because the moment you devalue a human, look at every genocide in human history. You devalue somebody else and that gives you the ability to, to destroy them. You see, what I think is happening a lot in our country right now is I know that so many men and women have this as part of our story. I know so many men and women in this room have this as part of their story. We just heard two of them. And I think what's happening by and large is kind of going back to Romans 1 that we talked about two weeks ago that, that just talks about with, with our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. That's truth like wants to billow up. Like it's, it's, it's being, it's shared like objectively, not just biblically, but biologically that life begins at the moment of conception. And yet what happens is it's a part of so many people's stories that instead of acknowledging like my friends did and sharing going, hey, I missed it here. I regret it, but there's grace in Christ, there's truth in Christ, and so I'm gonna let the truth of Christ inform my thought about this. I think what's happening is our culture is largely just suppressing it. I don't want this to be true. I don't want this to be true. I don't want this to be true, because if it is true, then my soul can't find rest with the reality of what I've done. And yet we just heard two stories of women who acknowledged the reality and what they found was grace. What they found was love. What they found was a God that his arms were outstretched and saying, come to me, because I don't condemn you. I was condemned for you. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus is calling all people to himself I'm grateful for Debbie and Celine, who aren't just welcomed here, they're leading here. Because when they acknowledged the truth, they were met with the truth. And that truth declared grace over them. And so we be honest. And if you're in here with that in your story, just know we don't condemn you. We love you because we were first loved. Life begins at conception in the womb, but life doesn't end. Life doesn't ultimately end for any of us. Hebrews 9.27 says this, and just as it's appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. That throughout our scriptures, what we see is that death is just a passing into another state, into another moment. That death is a journey that we're all gonna go on, but then after that comes judgment in which we stand before God and whether we've trusted Christ, we'll spend eternity with him or whether we've rejected God and sinned, like we all have rejected Christ, we'll spend eternity away from him. And so there's two realities at the end, but we are all eternal beings. You have a beginning, but you do not have an end. 
and neither does anyone else. And so from conception through eternity, all human beings have dignity, value, and worth. And so are you seeing this? How getting this right impacts like everything else. Seeing every single person as somebody who has dignity and value and worth begins to shape your worldview that you can see them the way Christ sees them so that you can love them the way that Christ loves them. And so like, watch this, like it impacts how you see life in the womb, dignity, value, worth. It impacts how you see the life of the mother and the father that made that decision, dignity, value, worth, care for elderly and aging parents, dignity, value, worth, people that you gossip about and call it venting. Dignity, value, worth. The waitress that you don't make eye contact with. Dignity, value, worth, people that aren't worth your time, can't help you get ahead at work, aren't socially aware, need a little bit extra grace, dignity, value, and worth. People that don't look like you, talk like you, vote like you, think like you, dignity, value, That's how we should see them. C.S. Lewis said it so well. He said, there's no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. It's crazy. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, your job, your house, your money, these are all mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it's immortals that we joke with, we work with, we marry, we snub, we exploit and awaits for all of us immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That changes the way you see people. They're not problems to be solved. They're not pathways to your own advancement. They're people made in the image of God, not the image of you. And so as Christians, I think it's kind of easy for us to sometimes go, yes, we value life. Look at all that we've done with the sanctity of life. And there's so much stuff to celebrate with that. There's so much work left to be done. There's so much stuff that we need to be praying for and being active with. But the sanctity of life is a subset to how we see the dignity of life as a whole. And we got work to do there. And so then how do we respond in humility? How do we draw that circle around ourselves? How do we take the log out of our own eyes so that we can help the world around us and engage with the world around us, seeing rightly everyone, that we might love everyone well. Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus was approached by an individual in Luke 10, and this individual wanted to know, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says what we have become familiar with, if you've been at church at any number of times, he says, if you want, he says, the greatest command, you know, there's 613 commands of the Old Testament, but I can summarize it this way. You need to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that guy that asked the question begins to think, okay, neighbor, um, that can mean a lot. Um, so let me kind of narrow it down so that I can kind of already be doing this. Um, because in that culture, in that time set, your neighbor was often someone who lived right next to you, which meant that they made about the same much as you did. That means that they worked probably in a similar field that you did. They looked like you, they talked like you. If they could vote, they would vote like you. Um, but they were basically a little bit of a clone of you. And so if that's the case, 
then yeah, that person's worth my time because they're kind of me. And so he asked him, hey, then who's my neighbor? Because if it's basically me, then yeah, I got this. But if it's someone else, that's gonna be a little bit harder, Jesus. And in verse 29, this guy says, desiring to justify himself, that's telling. Never a good idea to ask Jesus a question in order to justify you. But that's what he does. He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, well, hey, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell amongst some robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. It's an odd way to answer the question. But that description is actually exceedingly telling. You see, this individual, Jesus is describing someone who has literally no clothes on, can't speak because they're unconscious, and so there's no identifying markers on them. The individual is seen simply as someone who is a human. That's what Jesus is describing. There's no identifying markers on this person. And so what are their political affiliations? We have no idea. What are their preferred pronouns? No idea. There's no MAGA hat, no mask, no preferred pronouns, no big truck that says I identify as a Prius. None of that. Just a person. Can this person benefit me? I don't know. Is this person worth my time? Let's see. It says, now by chance, a priest, religious guy, was going down the road and when he saw him, he saw him. What did he do? He passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, another religious guy, he came to the place and he saw him. What did he do? He passed by on the other side. So two religious leaders see somebody who's hurting, who is described as someone who's simply someone who is made in the image of God. And they make a judgment call. This person isn't worth my time. I see them, but I'm gonna move over and I'm gonna move away from them. And if you think about your general week, if I think about mine, gosh, we're guilty of that. You walk through these hallways, walk at work, you see someone that usually go, oh gosh. <sighs> if I say hi, it's gonna be like a 15 minute conversation. <laughs> but you know what, uh, no, uh, I'm sorry, uh, no, childcare, I gotta go get my kid. You know, like, we do that. We see someone that we don't think is worth it. And we pass by. But a Samaritan, an unlikely individual, he journeyed and he came to where he was and he saw him. And it says he had compassion. That means to suffer with. And so what did he do? He saw someone made in the image of God and he didn't move away, he moved towards, watch this. You wanna know if this guy was worth it? He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and they took care of him. And then the next day he took out two denarii, two days labor, and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, hey, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I get back. This guy has never woken up from his little coma. So is this guy worth it? In man's view, we have no idea. You put yourself in the center, we have no idea if that person's gonna benefit the Samaritan. But in God's view, it is objectively clear, yes. 
Because Jesus says next, hey, which one of you, these three, proved to be a neighbor to this man who fell amongst the robbers? And they said to him, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus then goes, then you, City Bridge, go and do likewise. So what is Jesus saying here? He is saying, when you see someone, anyone who looks like you, doesn't look like you, votes like you, doesn't vote like you, interacts in the world and sees the world through the lens that you see the world through, the, the word of God or sees it through their own lens and has led them down a path that is hurting them. Because make no mistake, without Christ, the world is hurting. Your response is not to see them and make a judgment call about their value and worth and then to move on, but rather to see them and to go, this person's made in the image of God. And so I'm gonna use my time, my talents, my treasures, and I'm moving towards them. I'm gonna suffer with them. I'm gonna pay whatever it takes to help them. Why? Because they're not made in your image. They're made in God's. And that's exactly what Jesus did with you. He moved towards you. One of the number one definitions of Jesus, one of the number one qualifiers of him was he was one who saw people, he had compassion. And so he moves towards. And if you're gonna call him your Lord, then you need to follow him this way. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. Think of others. Render others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This past week, I was um, uh, busy, I would say. 2022 feels really uh, full so far for, for Derek. Um, at home, it kind of feels like I'm, I'm doing some double duty. Um, at, at work, it kind of felt like some double duty stuff. And just, you know, like we had like the Christmas break and then all of a sudden like we're back and we're running, really, like all, all this stuff is happening. And I just, the other night, I just, I, I, after I was putting my, my son down and, um, and then he's kind of talking in his crib, I, I walked into um, m my room and, and I just crashed on the bed. And my wife was in the room and so I just go, She was like, how you doing, babe? And man, I just was like, hey, it's been such a crazy few weeks. And here's actually reality is, it's been crazy for me, but I also know that a lot of people that I love have had a really hard week. I've had a lot of close friends lose loved ones. And I've had a lot of close friends be rushed off to the hospital. I've had a lot of close friends just kind of having some really hard time and I told my wife, I feel like I'm too busy to love them right now. And I heard it. And what was convicting about that moment for me is I had put projects and productivity above people. I just had to get from Jerusalem to my Jericho and I saw people hurting and I just moved to the other side. And so the next day, with that conviction from the Lord, I just, I came to work and I just started this like Rolodex in my brain of all the different people that I knew that were hurting and I just would text them or call them or reached out to them and just go, hey, how you doing? How can I be praying for you? And I like spent the day doing that. And to be clear, it was wildly unproductive of a day, but it was immensely impactful. I came home that night and um, 
put my son down and then crashed in bed again. And my wife goes, how you doing? I go, honestly, it's been like three weeks of I feel like I've been sprinting. But after today, I'm back, baby. <laughs> I was restored. And what I recognized in that moment was that people are not a means to our own selfish end. People are the end to our selfishness. And so when you see the world through the lens of the world, through yourself, you put yourself in the center and people become either a means to your own selfish end or an obstacle to your own self-achievements. We become short with our kids. We objectify people by watching pornography online, downgrading the human beings that they are. We use people to our own gain. We gossip to make ourselves feel better. We wait for others to serve instead of standing up and serving ourselves, serving others. We ignore our aging parents because it's an inconvenience for us. And it leaves us exhausted. And God has a better way to see the world, not through the lens of the world and your own selfishness, but to see the world through the lens of the word of God that puts God in the center and when you do that, people stop being a project. People stop being a problem. But as Jeff said last week, people become a privilege that you get to love, you get to pursue, you get to serve. So self-evaluation, how do you see people? How do you see people? Because once we get that log out of our eye, and acknowledge that, that we have a tendency to be selfish and to seek our own interests above others or to take care of ourselves fully in our little clan before we even think about those out there. Once we get that right, then all of a sudden we can love others as ambassadors. So how do we do that? How do we love others as ambassadors? Well, you see others through the lens of Christ in order to love others in the name of Christ. You see others through the lens of Christ so that you can love others in the name of Christ. These past couple weeks, I've just been looking at all these different verses about what happens when Jesus sees people. And I'll tell you what, he doesn't move away. He moves towards. He steps in. He interjects with people that are longing for him and people that are ready to debate him. He always moves towards and he came with grace, he came with truth, and he saw every single person as someone that had dignity, value, and worth, so much so that he would spend his time, his energy, and he would give up his very life for them. And when he rose from the grave, he declared in John 20, 21, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm now sending you. As the Father sent me in grace and truth, as the Father sent me as an ambassador from heaven coming to earth, as the Father sent me to love and to engage and to have compassion on all people, so now I'm sending you. You see others through the lens of Christ in order to then love others in the name of Christ. One of the things I've loved about this series is we've thought about all these different topics that we wanna kind of talk through in, in our cultural conversations. And what dawned on me this past week was every single topic that we're looking at has literally a ministry here of individuals, members of our body 
that saw the world through the lens of Christ and are now loving the world in the name of Christ. And it just filled my heart of how much I could celebrate so many of you that don't move away from individual, but because Christ has come after you, you're now moving towards individuals in love. And so we hear often so many people going, well, I, I, you know, I, I, maybe I've jumped into membership, maybe I'm serving some capacities, but I just don't know where I can go next. Well, let me tell you, you wanna see people the way Christ does and love people the way Christ did? Let me just give you some of the things that are going on here. We got our neighboring initiative in which we just see Collin County strategically in which every single neighbor, we want there to be an ambassador, someone who owns kind of that neighborhood and are using the various members within that neighborhood to then love and serve individuals. I love what Amanda Bicola said months back. She says, abundant life that you're looking for might be right outside your front door. To not just nod at your neighbor, but to go love your neighbor. We have our healthcare stuff with City Bridge Urgent Care in which literally people from all walks of life are coming in and we meet their physical needs and their spiritual needs as we share with them the gospel to them. We have family advocacy, which is literally everything from conception all the way through life itself, all the way from life and conception through life throughout the rest of that individual's life. We have things like adoption, foster care, uh, um, post-abortion care. We have so many different ways that you can invest your time and energy in people. We have our Bridges Ministry, which is really just kind of a collection of all these different ways that we see how do we connect our body and be a bridge to our community. We have a worldview class coming up in which you can delve more into this and the outpouring of that worldview class is not just more information, but a way by which you can love people. We have a ministry called One Race, talking about racial reconciliation. We have prison ministries. We have so much that's going on that you can jump into. So I don't know what your next faithful step is, but let's see the world through the lens of Christ and then let's love the world in the name of Christ because that's how we become ambassadors. And when we do so, we are acknowledging what God has already declared, that every single person has value, has worth. How do we know that God sees every person as someone who has dignity, value, and worth? Well, it's because you value what you pay for. So last story. There was an individual who um, a couple years back went to a garage sale and he bought a bowl like you do at a garage sale. And the bowl he bought was for $3. And he brought it home and did what I guess some people do with bowls, put it up for decoration. And after a couple of years, he started getting curious about the bowl because he couldn't find anything like it. And so he brought it to an appraiser. And the appraiser began to look at it and began to recognize how unique this bowl was. And the appraiser began to recognize that this bowl actually dated back a thousand years to China. And said, look, I don't know what you can get exactly for this bowl, but it ain't $3. It could be upwards of $300,000. So that guy did what we all did. We, he put it back on, as a decorative piece in his house. And uh, no, he, he was like, sell that thing. <laughs> so they go to auction. The auctioneer starts auctioning it off, a $3 bowl, now uh, prized at $300,000. And by the end of the auction, it went for not $3, not $300,000, but $2.2 million for a bowl. 
They interview the guy who bought it. They go, why did you just spend 2.2 million on a bowl? He said, this bowl is unique. There's no one like it. There's no bowl that I've ever seen like this. It's, it's intricately made. It was formed by master craftsmen. And I paid for it and now it's mine. And when he did that, he was declaring a value over that bowl that nobody could debate. He paid an enormous amount for something that was so seemingly ordinary. One person thought it was for $3. One person thought, hey, maybe 300,000. But the one who knew most said, no, no, no. It's worth a lot more. You value what you pay for. And Isaiah 43 shows us the value we have in God's eyes. It says, now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, same word as what God did in our womb. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I've bought you. I've called you by name, you are mine. Verse four tells us why. Because you're precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. When Jesus gave up his life on the cross, he was making a payment. And by doing so, he declared a value, not just on you, but on all individuals made in his image and his likeness. He gave up everything that we might become all we were meant to be. And he decreed a value upon us that we cannot deny. And if he sees us this way, then we should see others that way. And when we see the world through the lens of Christ, then and only then are we able to love the world in the name of Christ. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, Check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.